So tonight, we are going to do something different in that I'm going to have my dad with me here tonight. Yes, it's bring your dad to work day today. Come on down. Don't be afraid. I know you're, you're shy. You're afraid of being in front of public and doing the public speaking. Just kidding. My dad's a pastor. So uh, um, I decided to invite my dad tonight because I uh, have noticed definitely um, more lately than I had before that I am becoming like my dad, and I'm saying things that I heard my dad say for the longest time, and it's terrifying. And so uh, what we're going to do is I made a list of sayings, and I'm going to call them Doyle's Proverbs, that I grew up with. And these are like short little like insights, wisdom, things for living that I, he has told me a thousand times over. And, um, and I want to kind of tell you and give you insight into what those are. And so what's up, Ben? Nothing, just, is that one, is this getting, one sketchy? Just getting yeah, they're all crappy. Welcome to the warehouse. Uh, so anyway, um, welcome. This is Doyle. Hi, everybody. Doyle. Hi, guys. So how many people come to the main room, like in the big auditorium on the weekend? Cool. Very fun. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for inviting me. Only when I speak, though. So you well, that's you okay. I don't care. I mean, you know. Now they're going to hear some good stuff tonight <laughs> for a change. Oh, Dad. Okay. This is pretty crappy, too, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. It's all crappy. Yeah. Okay. I wish we could get an increase in budget out here, man. You know anybody who could help us out? Nope. Okay. All right, you're up. I am? I said you, you thought you said, I thought you said so, you had something so to say. He had this idea. He said, there's all these sayings that you've said. So here's the deal. I'm going to bet two things. I'm going to bet one is that none of them originated with me. They're not mine. And two is that I learned them from somebody older. Now, in the Bible, it talks about getting wise counsel. So this life is tough. It just is. There, you know, so we think that life is good and occasionally it's tough. I got bad news for you. Life is tough and occasionally it's good. Okay, it's easy, right? And, so, and you're saying, well, what a pessimist. Okay, stick around. Like 50 years. Uh, and you'll find out I'm telling the truth. So here's the deal. If we're going to navigate this thing called life, as Christians, we need to know what the boundaries are. We need to have people know, help us know when we're going off track. And so uh, the Bible is great for that. And the Bible also says that other people are great for that. Here's a couple of passages for you. Proverbs eleven fourteen. We are therefore, sorry, wrong one. I have the wrong notes. Anyway, oh, here it is. Uh, Proverbs 19.20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. So here's the deal. If we will be smart enough to listen to people ahead of us. So to this day, I'm involved in mentoring relationships. I am the mentee. I'm not the mentor in all those. I am involved in people speaking into my life so that I don't derail myself, the church, my family uh, along the way. I need people who are ahead of me on the journey to speak truth into my life, all right? And so one of the things that happens, I think, is that, is that not only in Scripture, but in wise counsel, God gives us little nuggets. And I have managed to, evidently, collect some of these nuggets over the years that have become kind of guardrails. You ever, you ever go bowling with the bumper things in place? Right, right. Well, life is never that easy, okay? But you don't have to go in the gutter every time you have a stupid thought, okay? So these little guardrails help, help us to not throw gutter balls of our life. You know bowling, right? You're kind of looking at me like you've never heard of bowling. You, you know what bowling is. I actually took two classes in college, uh, bowling class. Thank you for paying for that, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah so I'm those are two. You've got A's in us. The only two, really I think, it. probably. <laughs> That an archery, or was that your sister? No, that's that was me too. <laughs> um, Did you take any actual Bible classes at all when you're? That's nah, overrated. Anyway, okay, so I hear some of this stuff that I heard growing up, and I thought might be beneficial for you to hear as well. And so, um, a lot of us are in an uh, in a stage of our life in which we're making big decisions, and so I thought it would be interesting to talk about some of the some of the easy takeaway things that have helped me make decisions that he's kind of given me over the years, and so. Uh, one of the big ones was do the last thing God called you to do. So whenever I'm trying to figure out, all right, what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? And if I'm unsure, he always has told me, do the last thing God called you to do. You want to elaborate? So uh, a football coach actually told me this. He was a football coach who was on our staff at the church I came from um, all those years ago. And here's the deal. So I'm a guy who lives in the future. 
I can easily ignore the present in, in favor of the visions and dreams about the future. And some of you are like that. And, and, and the difference between visions and dreams, dreams, uh, are you don't do anything about them. Visions, you actually follow through and they become part of your life, okay? And so I can easily live in that world. That's what I love, all right? But uh, sometimes you come to a place in your journey where it just seems like all the doors are closed. What happened to me was I was uh, my late 20s. I knew I was supposed to start a church. So I knew the what of what I was supposed to do. I went to my senior pastor. I said, hey, I want to start a church downtown. I was in the suburb of Chicago when I started a church downtown in Lincoln Park. And he said, no. And I, but I, I knew, I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I knew the why. The problem was I didn't know the when and the where. And so I'm out talking to this, this guy who was on our staff, he's a former football coach and just a, just a real practical down to earth guy, much older, he was in his late sixties at the time. I said, man, I don't know what to do with this because I know I'm supposed to start a church. And he, and, I, and, and he said, but do you know the, the when and the where? I said, well, I thought I did, but I got turned down and I want to respect the authority of my life because I do believe that he's there to bless me. And, and he said, well, then here's what you need to do. You need to keep doing the last thing you knew for sure God told you to do. And, and so for the next two years, I faithfully did what I knew I was supposed to do, which was lead the youth uh, department and do all this stuff at the church. And by the way, saying, well, God doesn't speak that clearly to me. Sure he did. He, he gave you the Bible. So just go back to what you know to do in the Bible until it becomes clear you're to do the next part of your growth, the next step of your growth, the next thing. So just keep doing what you know for sure God wants you to do. And he'll reveal the next one to you. You may even know the what. You may not know the when and the where or even the how, but keep doing what you know God wants you, and, and he will reveal the next place to you. Yeah, so uh, I remember the place, I remember uh, it was about, gosh, what was it, it was six years ago, and we were at Lucille's across the street from the um, Cerritos Mall, and I was trying to make a decision what I was gonna do with my life, and we were talking through, should I do business, should I do ministry, and it had been this internal conflict for a long time, and he told me, um, because I, I, was, I was pretty sure that I was supposed to do ministry, but I was really afraid because I was like, man, I'm gonna, I may lose a lot of things if I do this. And he said, sometimes decisions are like a trapeze. You have to let go of one side in order to reach the other. And then in that moment, I went, dang it, I know what I'm supposed to do. Tell us what that means. Yeah, well, so, so we, uh, we want to play it safe. We want to do the easy part, right? So imagine a trap. You know what a trapeze, right? I know we don't have circuses anymore because we can't mistreat elephants and ballerinas or something. I don't know. But there's some reason we don't have circuses. I don't know what it is. But when they used to have circuses in the old days, I've actually never been to a circus. How about Cirque du Soleil? That's close, right? So if, if they're swinging on this one, right, those two never meet. There's never a point where they're going like this and they go, oh, got both of them. And a lot of us live our lives trying to grab where we've been and where God wants to take us. But if you ever watch them closely, what they do is they swing out and they have to let go and turn around in midair and hope that that thing is there. By the way, it's called faith. In that case, it's faith in the guy on the other end throwing the swing, right? But in our life, when, when, when God is leading us to that next... So let me give you a practical one, a relationship. Um, I have a, a friend uh, who was dating a guy. She is a, a long-term Christian. He was not a Christian. And I said, God's not going to bless our relationship. Not because he's not a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. Matter of fact, called me up, ticked off when she broke up with him because I'm the one who told her to do it. And I met him in a bar downtown and, uh, in Chicago thinking he was probably going to beat me up. And, uh, and, and I said to her, you know what? You've got to let go of something that's not right if you expect God to provide for you something that is right, a God-honoring relationship. She let go of it. She um, broke up with him, and he and I met in a bar with stale popcorn. He was drinking a beer. I was having a Diet Coke or something, and I told him why she had broken. He said, well, God's important to me, too. He's just not the most important thing, and I said, bingo. There's the problem, and over the next few months, he began, unbeknownst to her and me, he began to go to church, accepted Christ, and came back into her life. They're married. They a bunch of kids, those whole things. But she, she wouldn't have gotten there if she hadn't been obedient to God. To be obedient, sometimes you've got to let go of something comfortable to trust him for something better. And a husband who's a Christian is a much better husband than one who's not. Right? Was that, uh, I think that was an amen, but it was like a millennial amen. It was like, no, uh, yeah, I agree. But I'm only, I'm, uh-huh. But I'm wondering yeah. why there's only one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> That's a Seacoast amen. For sure. For <laughs> sure. 100. Okay. Um, so when it comes to decision making, um, 
what you're saying. Wait, wait, wait. That would be funny. Next week in the, in the, in the other auditorium, yeah. right in the middle of the 1030 service, I say, and they go, 100! <laughs> and it's, everybody's going to go, except me. It, I know yeah, what I mean. You didn't say it right, but it's left. fine. It's I didn't good. say it right. How do yeah, I say it? it's 100. Um, <clears throat> it, it's fine. It's fine. And what's the guy's name, the rapper guy? 50... 50 cent? That's yeah, like, that okay, welcome cent? to 10 years ago. <laughs> I, can't hey. say, I can't say that one right okay. either. Okay, all right. Anyway, um, well, that went downhill fast. You're doing so good. Just keep with the wisdom and let the pop culture, I'll just, let me handle that. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so you're saying let go, let it go, and you let go, you grab on the others, but that is an extremely scary thing to do. And oftentimes when we're making big decisions, uh, we have to do scary things. And so one of the things you would always challenge me with, because I'd be kind of freaking out, like uh, you would always say this, and I'm not sure if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but you would challenge me with it is, Cody, what's the worst thing that could happen? You, say, you used to challenge me with that all the time. Why? Because fear it is oftentimes fear of the unknown. So we're just afraid of something. But if you sit down and you walk this through and you feel like God's calling you to something, what is the worst that can happen? If God's truly calling you to something, what, what is the worst that can happen? God's plan takes effect. What's the worst that can happen? Right? You, you don't make as much money as you would when you're in business. Um, you never find somebody to marry. Well, that sounds pretty drastic, but if that's God's plan, then he's going to give you something even better, something powerful to do with your life. So, so at the end of the day, when we feel like God is moving us towards some next step of obedience or next step of vision, then and, and we're struggling to let go of that thing, um, it's God, right? God loves you more than you love you, and he has a plan, so what's the worst that's going to happen? So let's talk, uh, let's talk purpose, let's talk... Um, work, because a lot of us are heading into the workforce. we got a lot of young professionals here um, and a lot of people who will be young professionals in the near future. So when you are looking at um, kind of your life's journey and you're thinking about goals that you want to reach, one of the things that you've always told me is you're going to overestimate the impact that you will have in the short term and underestimate uh, what you will do in the long term. This is Rick Warren. I heard Rick Warren say this about 25 years ago. And um, I, I just, it, it, it stuck with me. So, um, so, so about profession, being a professional, whatever. I know that you're going to change jobs a lot more often than my generation did, which changed jobs a lot more often than our parents' generation did. I know you're going to have, you're gonna have you know, 50 jobs in your lifetime. I know that. Um, but I, and so you make the application. I don't know how this works for you. But for me, uh, I came from a tradition. My dad was a pastor. And the longest place, uh, longest time I ever lived in any one place was seven years. And the average stay for a pastor was about two years, which it's really hard to have really any impact over two years, right? And the joke was he ran out of sermons and had to go to a new place because he didn't have any more sermons left, right? So I, I watched a guy, I was mentored by a guy, I worked for him coming out of college that had been there 25 years. And his philosophy, and in my observation of him and his philosophy, was that you really only make an impact over a really long period. And so when I started Seacoast down at the beach with Connie, um, I said, we're going to stay here at least 20 years, at least, because nothing of real significance is going to happen, of real eternal significance on any scale is going to happen in the short term. And so here's what happens when you're young, is you think everything can change quickly. And because of the, the internet and because of all the, the technology that you have, a lot of things do change quickly, but nothing of real deep value changes quickly, okay? You can build a company, you can make a lot of money, you do a lot of things quickly, but you can't build a character in two weeks. You can't build a strong marriage in a month. You can't build strong, lifelong friendships. At the same time I was developing that philosophy about church, I was developing that philosophy about my, my own relational world because I realized that having grown up, so if anybody's an army brat here or a preacher's kid, they're kind of similar in this sense, that if you move often, you are able to, you just develop a defensive mechanism to be able to turn loose the relationships really easy. You just turn loose. For example, I don't, I, I don't keep in touch with anybody I went to high school, grade school with. I don't even keep in touch with anybody I went to college with. It's just easy for me to go, yeah, okay, because I've been doing it my whole life. And I realized that I was being robbed of long-term input and, and not only uh, 
um, advice and, and, and encouragement, but even correction, I realized I was being robbed of that. And so at the same time I decided to do long-term ministry in one location, I decided to develop some long-term relationships who could watch me over the years, encourage me, um, correct me when I got out of line. And I, to this day, the people, I, and I was, I was 30 when I made that decision. To this day, those, and it's like now like six, eight years later. <laughs> to this day, those people are, many of those people, most of those guys are still in my life. And, and some I meet with every Friday morning. Some I only meet with when one friend moved away. We meet twice a year um, somewhere. We usually go ski in some exotic place and, and uh, try not to get hurt. But we talk about life. We talk about our families. And we've been through some tough stuff. He's made some super huge mistakes in his life. And, but I committed long term. And so you will overestimate what you can do between now and the time you're 35. Right? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> You're not, ex- not expecting much? Yeah, it's like two and a half years away, so probably not. But. <laughs> well, but you will underestimate. you Because you have no idea what God's got planned. You will underestimate. If you're committed to God and you're obedient, what can happen over your lifetime? The legacy of what can happen in your lifetime. And, and so when you're running the race, don't just run a sprint. This is a marathon. And God will develop character, develop relationships. He will develop impact in your life. But you've got to run the whole race. So one of the frustrations that I have, um, and we've talked about this before at Young Adults, is I'm looking for, and you're looking for, instant gratification, meaning I want to make money and I want to make it right now, or I want to have a great you know, a relationship or church or whatever, and I want to do it right now. And one of the things you've told me probably every day for the last 10 years, or at least every week, is just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. What does that mean? So, so when Connie and I first got married, she wasn't the perfect wife. I was really close to the perfect husband, but she had a lot of work to do. Here's what I realized, that I could either demand from her and be disappointed from her when she didn't do what I thought she needed to do, or I could invest for the long term, because I was only going to be married once, God willing. And if she was ever going to be a great wife, it's because I kind of set the environment up to allow her to grow into who God wanted her to be. And if I was ever going to have a great wife, I was going to have to keep, keep things. Um, I wanted to, I'm trying to pick my words here because uh, I wanted to, I have to, hmm, how do I say this? <laughs> I talk for a living. I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, but I needed to set an environment in which she could blossom and become and discover who God made her to be and who she wanted to be. And so if I was ever going to have a great wife, I need to start now. And the way that I could do it is not shaping her, forming her, uh, demanding for her. It was simply encouraging her, loving her. And, and so, so that happens. Oh, and I have a great wife, by the way. And she has an incredible husband. And so it happens. You see how many courtesy laughs you're getting right now? That's insane. I, didn't, I almost didn't even get one on yeah, that. Yeah, that was like a, it was like, <laughs> that's two and like one. I'm not, time I go we already tried that. I'm yeah, not going not there. Not going there again. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, what was your question? I don't even know. Oh, uh, keep showing up. So here's the deal. Uh, I'm not a very gifted person. Uh, and I'm not being humble. I, I you know, in school, I kind of made it through because I felt like I needed to. I wasn't the smartest guy in my class. I wasn't even the smartest guy in the room usually. And I could have been, you know, like by myself. So... Duh. Hey. Anyway, so. Your grandpa jokes are on point tonight. Ezra thinks they're funny. Yeah. Um, but here's what I, I realized. That here's one thing I can do. I can keep showing up. This, this kind of would be the theme of my life. Keep showing up. Just keep showing up. I, you know, I will just show up. When everybody else is trying to find some easy way to get things done or everybody else is chasing after this bright light, I'm going to keep showing up. And what's interesting is that it's exact opposite of my personality. I am so easily distracted. I am, uh, and, and I don't mean like in a clinical sense ADD. I mean in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in my whole life ADD. Like I'll be going this way and then all of a sudden I'll have a new idea. You know, I have a new vision. I have a new this thing. I, and so my, it's not normal for my personality. But I realized that if I was ever going to mount anything, the one thing I had going for me is I am tenacious. And I will keep showing up. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do in marriage. It's the best thing you can do raising kids. It's the best thing you can do on the job. Keep showing up. Don't give them minimum when you get there. Show up and do your best. And, and you'll be amazed what can happen. And just keep showing up. So that is something I, I tell my kids. You may be gifted, you may not be gifted, you may be smart, you may not be smart, but you have the ability to control whether you show up or not. Show up.
Yeah, it's something for me I have to remind myself. On almost a daily basis is we're all looking for what I call the silver bullet, the thing that fixes everything. It makes everything great. That's awesome. And it's the instant answer. And I'm like, no, okay, Cody, that's not how life works. Things that matter, I just got to keep grinding, keep showing up. Um, okay, and so uh, whenever I speak, uh, normally it's in main campus, I'll come back on a Saturday night and I will want to quit. That's a pretty regular thing. Almost every Saturday night, I want to quit. And you tell me, Cody, just try to hit a double. That's all you got to do. Just try to hit a double. What does that mean? So what we forget, we love to see home run hitters, but we forget they strike out more than they hit home runs. Matter of fact, they strike out a lot. And teams usually don't need more than one home run hitter. They usually need a lot of guys just willing to swing the bat and get on base, if we're going to go with the baseball analogy. And one of the things I learned, along with showing up, is show up and don't try to hit it out of the park every week. There are some weeks it clicks and God's moving and things are happening and it's great. And there are some weeks where I just had to study hard and I have to do my best to hit a double. And if I could just hit a double every time at bat, that's a pretty good batting percentage. It really is. And so we don't do big, huge, flashy things around here. We just do something. We try to do something really good every week. All right. So it has to do with consistency. It has to do with tenacity. It has to do with quality, but not swinging for the fences every time. I just need to do what God called me to do, and I do it the best I can. And so just hitting a double is okay. It doubles are good. It's all right. So there's a theme, if you haven't noticed, that like every single thing is showing up doing, you know, having a certain level, but don't try to hit it out of the park every time. And so this next one kind of falls in line with that is um, you, you say often, keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. So if you were there this morning, I really hammered on this. If you don't know what you're on this earth to do, I, got, I don't know what to tell you. I can't give you any advice. And until you know and understand and have bought into why you're here, which is to know God, to honor God, to worship God, to tell people about God. Until you get that straight, I don't know what your life is about. I have no advice to you. I have no context to speak from. But when you know that, then when life is getting a little just go back to the basics. Anybody play basketball here? Anybody play basketball here? I remember in seventh grade, I was taught to shoot free throws. And the way you shoot a free throw is you get the ball here, you pull your elbow in so it's straight up and down, you bend your wrist so there's a wrinkle right there. And then you put your hand over here and then you put it up and you let go of it. Now, that's from seventh grade. Why do I remember that? What, do I, what would I do if I still played basketball, which I don't? I, I, when it's not working, I would go back and go, is my elbow in? Is, my, is it, okay, now we can do that, right? There are basics you go back to. Sometimes you gotta go back to basics, and this is one of them. You go back to basics, and, and you just examine, am I, doing, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing here? Is this the main thing? Is my life really about Jesus? Business is going bad, doesn't matter. Is my life really about Jesus? My marriage is struggling, first thing. Is my life about Jesus? Then we'll address the marriage. Go back to the basic thing. Is it about growing a relationship with Christ? One of the things that you would always ask me whenever I was struggling or I felt like some things weren't right in my life, the first question, and I knew it was coming, was, well, Cody, how's your prayer life? I'd be like, okay, that's, that's totally irrelevant, Dad. You know, and he's like, no, 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 no. Like, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. So how's this? Because everything else going to be out of whack if the first thing isn't, isn't in line. All right, let's talk um, life, wisdom, obstacles along the way. Uh, another saying you have is keep the core pure. So this came from my pastor that I worked for. Before I came to California, I, then the guy that told me no to start the church downtown Chicago was one of my mentors. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't appreciate him telling me no. I actually tried to call fire down from heaven. But, um, uh, but I realized later that, that God actually used that to bring me where I'm supposed to be. And uh, uh, so the last night there, before we picked up uh, my two kids and my wife and came to California, not knowing a soul and, and uh, not really having a place to live or a church to pastor. He said, keep the core pure. And I'm thinking, oh man, I just take a core. I don't care if it's pure or not. And he was talking about the core of the church. And over the years, that has become um, a really important phrase for me on, on several levels, primarily three. First of all, as a leader of a church, um, I have to be careful that who is at the center of this church, who is making decisions about this church, they're on track with the relationship, the prayer time, the character development. They don't have to be perfect. None of us are perfect, but they have to be sincerely seeking God. Because if the core is not pure, it's just going to get nasty as we go out further, right? It's just, it's just we don't have any hope. Of, if we're not truly following God with our heart and trying to be honest with God about ourselves and about what he's called us to do and sincerely seeking him, then this church has no chance. 
That's one level it has really um, impacted me, but it also impacted me. Uh, so if you think about the church as concentric circles, there's a pastoral leadership, we have elders, we have leaders, we have, and it goes out, right? And, and those inner kind of three things, I would kind of call it the core. Um, but what about your relationships? So you have concentric circles of relationships, right? And some of you may be new to faith, or you've just become a Christian, or you're thinking about it, whatever it is. Here's the, the, the keep the core pure thing, is those who are in the closest circles to you, and those in closest to you need to be people who share your values and your intentions and your aspirations in faith. All right, if you are hanging out with people who are whack, who are just really off track, if, if you hang out with them and they're in the core, they're going to impact you. It doesn't mean you're rude to other people. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It means that the people closest to you need to have a heart for God. And the Bible teaches again and again, uh, it, a fire, if you take one ember and set it off by itself, or you put it in a bucket of ice, it's not going to do well. You put embers together, what do they do? They get hotter right? I want to be passionate for God. I want the people closest to me to be passionate for God. And, and so keep the core pure is, is, a part of that, is a part of that. And then, of course, what you just said about my own personal life. I have, I have nothing to impact my world, whether it's here at church or my new friends I met on my summer break. I have nothing to give them if I'm not on track personally. It doesn't mean I got it all worked out. It means I'm daily seeking to spend time with God, to become more like Jesus with his help. And so I've got to keep my core pure. So uh, when I was a teenager, you used to say these two things to me, and they were terrifying. Um, you would say, <laughs> this is so old school, uh, be sure your sins will surely find you. Um, that was awesome as a 16-year-old. And, uh, and you're playing with fire. So be sure your sins will, I, I think you're trying to scare the hell out of me, literally, uh, with those two sayings. And it worked. Um, <laughs> So the first one comes to my mom. Be sure your sins will find you out. Uh, you, know, you know when you're a kid and you, you decide mom must have eyes in the back of her head because she sees everything you do wrong? Well, it was like that in my house, only it was not just my mom. It was my mom and God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I know and God knows. Um, <laughs> so... So one thing I never did, even when I was running away from God and living a life that was both embarrassing and sinful and unfortunate, even when I was running from God, I didn't try to fool myself into thinking God didn't know what was going on. God knew what was going on. I knew I was going to pay a price at some point for doing sinful, destructive things. And there are people who are just duplicitous in the core of who they are. They don't only lie to people around them, they lie to themselves. They justify doing things that are outside of God's will and think that it's going to turn out okay. And the picture that always comes to mind is Adam and Eve in the garden. And God calls out, where are you? As if God doesn't know they're hiding behind that bush over there. You know, they're hiding from God. How's that going to work, right? And so that reminds me that no matter what little sin I can hide from you or somebody else, I'm not hiding anything from God. So at some point, quit hiding and just put it on the table. Be honest. I'm struggling with this, God. I need your help. And usually telling a brother in Christ who can help me with it, put it out there and just deal with it. I know a lot of Christians who are, they're, they're just, so this, this is a kind of a corny story, but guys are hiring a driver. The rich guy is hiring a driver. So he takes him up on a mountain road and he says, I want you to take that, that corner and I want to see your skills. I'm going to hire one of the three of you right here. First guy goes, he goes, hey, I can take that corner at 30 miles an hour and there's you know, a thousand foot drop off on that side. And I could do it within a foot of that edge. Does it right around the corner and everybody's impressed. Next guy says, I can do that at 10 miles an hour faster and I can do it six inches from the edge does it. Everybody's impressed. The last guy goes, you guys are nuts. I'm driving as close as I can to this end. I'm not going over 10. Which guy did he hire? The third guy who wants a driver that plays risky stuff all the time, right? But as Chris, you didn't get that story? You okay with that? As Christians, I think they're all just like, yeah, it'd be sick to have a driver, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. One hundred. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Did he say it right? Yeah, no, it's awesome. Obviously, he knows what's up. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, he's gangster in those khakis. So I, I can tell by looking at him. He looks, <laughs> looks gangster. Um, anyway, so, so 
as Christians. So it's a classic high school discussion, right? I used to be a youth pastor. How far can we go? It's usually referring to the backseat of a Volkswagen. Um, how far can we go? Stupid question. Question is, how close can I get? How close to God? I, so I'm a, okay, I'm going to tell a story uh, that we hadn't talked about. But, so I, get, I go, can this stay in this room? Yeah, it's recorded, but it's fine. Is it really? <laughs> can I still tell this? Yeah, we'll edit it. Liar. <laughs> I don't know if I can tell this. Uh, so I get... So, Just right. don't use Chelsea's name in this uh, thing, okay? Just... All right, so I'm a pastor, right? I'm a pretty kind of straight guy these days. And uh, I get in a car with a friend of mine a few years ago. After, after being skiing, we had a day of skiing. We're going to drive home. Get in the car. He reaches into a cooler, pulls out a beer, pops it open as he's driving down the road. Does that seem a problem to anybody? I mean, well, am I the only one that kind of went? I mean, put aside the fact that I'm a pastor. I'm a human being. You are drinking and driving. What are you doing? And I know that his, he had some way of justifying in his mind. He was only going to have one. I, really? This is how you live your life? Well, it's going to be okay. I, I, can, I can get away with this. Why do you want to get away with anything? God has this incredible plan that's bigger than anything you can come up with. Why risk it? Just do it his way. It's going to turn out better. The question is not, what can I get away with? You're playing with fire, and it's going to burn you. Don't do it. It's just smarter. Imagine hearing that as a 16-year-old. It was terrifying. Every week. So, Cody, what kind of fire are you playing with in your life right now? <laughs> All right, here we go. I was only asking to see if you'd admit it. I already here knew. Here we go. <laughs> so, um, okay. Um, oftentimes, I want to kind of switch to some of the more relational stuff is sometimes you find yourself, and this is especially true as you're in school, but it's in true of work context, things like that, is um, you're around people who um, you're frustrated with, you're having trouble with, and it almost seems like they're... Um, they're succeeding and you're not, or they're living a certain way and they're not seeing the consequences or you're not seeing the benefits. One of the things that you always told me whenever I felt like, man, I'm, I'm really in these relational conflicts is to outgrow them. Just continue to outgrow them. Continue to outgrow them. What did you mean by that? So it goes back to the keep showing up and, it's, and, and the stick with it kind of thing. So here's the first problem we have is we think it's all about us. So when, when there's a conflict problem, and we'll hit the other side of that in a moment, I think, there's a conflict problem, we always kind of figure out, what does this mean to me? In other words, did I, did, did, what did I do, or how does this reflect on me? Or, I just want to suggest to you that if you're living your life on track with God, you, it's not that you're never going to mess up or say something stupid or be unkind, but if you're doing that, at the end of the day, more often than not, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with something going on inside of them. And we can spin out all day long if there's some relational conflict thing. What did I do? How can I fix it? You can't fix it because it's not about you. We had a pastor early on uh, on our staff. We're a little tiny church. And I brought this guy. I knew him from college. And I was best friends with his younger brother. Brought him on. And one day he just went berserk. And the next thing I know, he's not only left, but he's taken all the leadership of our little tiny church with him. I mean, all the Sunday school teachers, all the small group leaders, everybody with him. And I thought, what did I do? Well, it wasn't until months later, after a lot of pain uh, and a lot of confusion, a lot of me trying to fix it, that I realized that he had a life-controlling um, issue that had absolutely nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me. And that God used that to take away a whole bunch of unhealthy people out of my life. So uh, what was the thing again you quoted? What was the quote? The... Outgrow them? Yeah, outgrow them. So here's the deal. So don't, so one of my favorite illustrations, some of the staff heard this before, uh, this comes from John Maxwell, is that if, if I picture my journey with Christ like a train and that, that God is taking me on this destination that I believe as I get older, I will have more and more impact until someday uh, I'm in heaven and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. If I see that and I'm moving this direction, um, I cannot stop every time somebody gets sideways. 
I will do my best to reach out to them, but I'm not going to stop the train. I'm not going to get off the train because I'm on my way to be who God wants me to be. If there's something we can reconcile, and really I did do something wrong, dude, let's talk about it. I will fix it. I'll bend over backwards to apologize. But more often than not, they just want to fight. I don't have time to fight. I got time to move toward where God wants me to be. This train's moving. I'm becoming like Jesus. Hopefully, prayerfully, I believe I am. I'm going to keep on that train. I can't stop. And, and, and So here's the deal. That keep showing up thing, I'm going to keep showing up with God. I'm going to keep showing up to grow. I'm going to keep showing up. And if you've got an issue and it's with me, let's resolve it. But if it's not about me, you're going to have to figure out your issue because this train's moving. All right? And, that, and, and that's not as heartless as it seems it, because I just, most people's issues, I can't fix them because they're not really about me. And most of the conflicts you have aren't about you. If they are, and they'll tell you, then you can resolve it, you're on your way, uh, and, and it's great. But if it, it, and so I'm going to give you another little hint on this one too, is if that issue, so as a pastor, here's, here's what we need to know as a pastor. You, you don't need to know this isn't going to help you, but maybe you can find an application. As a pastor, anybody who's got daddy issues decides I'm their target because I'm the spiritual authority here. If anybody has authority issues, it becomes a, it, it, and I had to learn early on that it's not something I did. It's something that God may be working out in their life or God's trying to get them to work out in their life. And then I can't stop to fix it because it's theirs to fix, not mine. Okay. And so I just need to keep growing. I need to keep moving forward. If we can resolve it, let's go forward together. If not, I've just got to keep growing. I, and, and here's the challenge in the middle of it. It's not to be angry, not to be bitter and not to be cynical. When somebody lashes out at you because of some issue in their life, you need, to, you need to not get hardened and get cynical. You just need to go, I'm sorry. If there's something I can do to fix it, let me know. But I just need to keep seeking Jesus. I need to keep moving forward. And I love you. And keep a soft heart and a tender spirit toward them. But don't let them derail your growth and your thing. And so just outgrow them. Just keep going. And if they decide to get on track and get moving, they'll catch up, uh, whatever. But that's kind of how that So you works. mentioned a few things and you, have, um, you didn't say your sayings here. But the last one was uh, that you just mentioned was have a heart like a dove and skin like a rhino. This came from an older pastor. I, I, I never even met him. I just, somebody arranged a phone call when I first started the church. I don't even know his name. I, I, I remember he was from inland somewhere. Um, and, uh, and he said, you're going to get hurt a lot. <laughs> not, not encouraging words when you're starting a church, right? But it's true of all of us. We're going to get hurt a lot. So how do we keep our hearts soft Keep the soft heart toward God and toward others and, and be able to kind of just let it bounce off our skin. Keep a heart like a dove, skin like a rhino. Don't let it, it's not about you. More often than not, it's about them. It's about something else. It may have nothing to do with you. Just keep your heart soft, trusting that God's in control. You don't have to react. You don't have to punch back. You don't have to spread rumors. You don't have to gather the people you know and talk about. You don't have to do any of that. Because remember, God's in control of your life and you're going to keep showing up. Keep showing up with a soft heart and just kind of let it roll off. It's okay. You're a Christ follower. That's what you are. Nothing's going to change that. So uh, there's like a delicate balance there. And the way that you have helped us navigate that balance through the years is um, you s tell us to realize that m almost all of it is not about you, this conflict. And yet, what do you need to own in this? And so the most frustrating thing getting in arguments with my sister growing up is we would sit down and I would be right that's it. Okay, I would be right. And we would then present... It happened once. Yeah. He was right once. <laughs> we would try to present our case to our parents, like, okay, well, here's why my sister's an idiot, and okay, blah, blah, blah. And they would stop us, and they'd be like, I don't care. I don't care. And then they would look at us and go, well, all I care about is what do you need to own in this? What part is your fault? And I'll go back into, no, 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 but her, 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 and I don't care about her. She's not your problem. She's my problem, and she is a problem. Um, but... <laughs> What do you need to own? And so that was something that you just pounded in our head our entire lives is what is it that I need to own in this? So yeah, I have two symbols. I almost brought them down here. I have two symbols, I have a bunch of symbols in my office, but there are two applying to this. One is, a, is, is um, horse, reins from a horse. You know, like, whoa, right? Reins from a horse. You are old, man. <laughs> what, horses don't exist anymore? Oh, that's what you started with. It's a, <laughs> ah, a covered wagon. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Okay. <laughs> Dad jokes. Uh, so, uh, and, and, and a little boat. And here's the deal, because I told you uh, about the pastor that, that took all the people and left our church, right? And I found out later that he had a life-controlling issue, right? 
But in that, kind of, uh, in that process, I had a friend of mine say two things. One, one of these friends that I told you I, I've had for all these years said to me, why are you so angry? Uh, and I explained to him how, and he's like, this is Jesus' church, not yours. Get over it. I said, well, shut up. So um, <laughs> here's what I learned, though. My part in that was that I had abdicated some of my responsibilities as a leader. And the reins are, when God gives you control of something, whether it's your life or an organization, and he expects you to run it, don't hand it off and let somebody else do it. And so the reins hang in my office. I see them every day. It reminds me that God has given me, for this time and this space, the reins to this particular organization. And it's not, not wrong for me to help direct it. It is my responsibility. When God gives you an opportunity or responsibility, you need to take it. Don't abdicate it. Don't hand it off. Don't expect somebody else to run it. It is your responsibility. Take it own it. That was the part that I had to learn. So even if that was only 5% of the conflict, that was 5% I need to learn. And I still remember to this day. And so even if the vast majority of the conflict isn't yours, there is something to be learned there. And sit down with somebody you trust, somebody who cares about you, but will tell you the truth and isn't codependent, right? And will tell you, yeah, you need to own this part. I think this is something you could have done better. And I fortunately had people during that time uh, that helped me do that. So so much of what you are saying has this really delicate balance that you have to understand. And so this next one, I think, is the same way, is there's this uh, balance between reconciliation and removal. And so the, the thing that you would say sometimes is, if God is removing someone out of your life, don't chase them. So last year, I had two friends from our congregation, personal friends, leave. I just noticed they weren't here. Neither one of them gave me a phone call. Neither one of them gave me a heads up. These are guys I go to lunch with, hung out with, gone on trips with. Just gone. These are my friends. I'm, what happened? And at first I was kind of starting to get a little wounded, you know, feel a little sorry for myself. That's not fair. And then, I, and then I had this second thought, which was, God is doing something new in our church. And if he needs to do a little pruning, then so be it. Now, does that sound harsh? The truth is they may need to be somewhere else. And we may need them to be somewhere else. And if that's the case, then I need to let go of that. And to this day, if I see him, I talk, I'll, be, I'll be friendly, we'll be friends. But I just need to, to kind of be okay with that, that sometimes friends come for a season and a reason. Some of your friends come for a season and a reason. You're going to have very few people that will be lifelong friends. Very few. You don't get to travel this journey with the same people for very long, usually. Maybe your family, maybe a couple of friends, but they're there for a reason and a season. And allow God to use them in your life to teach you during that season and to help you get where you need to go during that season. But don't hang on too tightly. Just with every other gift, other than salvation, whether it's your money, it's your job, it's your abilities, hold them loosely, even your friends. God may need to remove them at some point. You don't know what's going on. Be okay with that. Don't go chasing after, trying to fix things that you can't fix. It's okay. Make sure you haven't done anything to hurt them. Make sure that there's no animosity because of something you messed up, and then let it go. So, so that, I just want to make sure we understand that, that balance because that's, that's kind of difficult in that if we have friends that are... are exiting our life, um, we have to discern if there is something that's happened between us that we need to resolve, or if there isn't something, they just need to move. And, and so how do we figure that out? What does that discernment look well, like? The, first of all, it goes back to the basics, shooting free throws, getting your heart right with God. Am I good with God? Is God the priority of my life? Am I confessing what I've done wrong? Hey, Lord, help me see if I messed this up in some way. But remember, it's probably not about you. But if you have some part in it, own that. Ask God. You might even ask a friend in confidence, not to talk trash on them. Do you, have you seen, have I wounded them? And contact them. Say, hey, are we good? Are we okay? Is there something I've done? And if they won't respond to that, you've done what you can do. And if they still move out of your life. So, so when we first started the church, we had nobody. I mean, we had 10 people. And the only guy that had a real job in the church left. And he was a friend of mine. And we'd travel together and stuff. And I called my dad and said, man, I can't believe this. We're down to nine people now. <laughs> and, you know, four of them were us, me and, and the kids and Connie. And, and I said, I can't believe this. What should I do? And he said, have you reached out? And I said, I have. And, and, and he says, you know, I haven't done anything. I said, okay. He said, well, let it go. God may be saving you from something. It wasn't long after that. There's a pretty well-known figure in the area. 
that it came out that he too had a life controlling issue that was destroying his life. And by this time he was no longer associated with our little tiny church, nor was he in leadership. And I just went, oh, God knew what he was doing. I, I'm glad I let that one go. So uh, that's a passive exit, people exiting your life. But there's also a uh, more proactive version of this, which is um, people are going to come and go out of your life. You get to choose who. When I was in high school, there were different groups in my high school. There were the, believe it or not, and it wasn't in the 50s, thank you. It was in the 70s. Not that you know the difference, but... Um, <laughs> but there were guys in the 70s, which, if, let me set the stage for you. Saturday Night Fever. Ever heard of that movie? Right? That was late 70s, okay? That was kind of the look. I had guys in my high school dressed with greasy hair, leather jackets, T-shirts from the 50s. You know what the 50s look like? Anybody have any idea what that looked like? The 50s, like, you ever see Fonzie? You guys know who that is? They do reruns on the Happy Days anymore, right? I had guys in my high school that dressed like that. They were called greasers. And they were the toughest guys in our high school. And so I went to high school about 3,500. And so we had different groups. We had, we had the greasers. We had the jocks. We had the, you know, the science nerds, whatever. Um, we didn't have computer guys yet because there were no computers. Um, we, we had the abacus guys. Duh. No? <laughs> that was funny. I'm sorry, but that uh, was funny. Man, they don't know what that is, but okay, that's fine. Good. Uh, so anyway, look it up when you get home. You'll laugh. You will laugh. Um, you know what the easiest group in my high school belonged to was? The stoners. The guys who smoked dope uh, during lunch off campus. That was the easiest group in the, in the world to belong to. That was, what was the question again? I don't remember, but we're running out of time. <laughs> what was the question? Give me the question again. Uh, oh, who you get to choose who leaves. So... Oftentimes we live our lives as if whoever just happens to be there are the people we ought to be friends with. And um, it's just not true. It's back to that core thing again. There are some people that you need to move out of your inner circle. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose really good people who could help you and grow you and encourage you. Or you're going to lose people who are pulling you back and holding you down. And you're going to choose which ones it is. And I want to be around. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. I consistently put myself in situations, both through mentorships and relationships with people who are ahead of me, because I want them to draw me forward. And the time I spend with people who are behind me, I discern, A, are they wanting to grow? And if they do, I will give them some time. B, are they just sucking the energy out of me and I'll give them no time? And the reality is that I need to have a balance. The ratio of my life needs to be people who are drawing me forward, not people who are trying to draw me back. And so I need to be intentional and, and, and uh, consistent about who is in that circle. And sometimes there are people I just need, and you say, well, how do you do it? You sit them down and tell them not your No, I just stop spending time with them. It, it sounds terrible. But if you are putting my growth in jeopardy, I don't have time for you. And if you come and ask me about it, then I will tell you about it. But there are lots of people that don't get close to me who I maybe at one time was close to, but I can't afford to stop my growth because you want to suck the energy out of me. I will care for you. I will love you, but from a distance. Okay, real quick, we got a few more, and I just want to get through these. Um, this one is kind of relating to what you were just talking about. This is funny. Be, where did this come? Be careful whose star you hit your wagon to. Yeah, my dad used to say that. And his, and his point was, is that, uh, it's, it's very close to this, who's in your inner circle. Uh, but um, it, it's more than that. And so the Bible teaches us that the way God, one of the ways that God blesses us is through the authorities in our life. And, it, and that's why it says to be obedient to the authorities. Scripture says pray for those in authority over you. Even if they're not Christians, the president, the mayor, you should pray for them. And through obedience, and of course, if it, if it contradicts the Bible, we can't do it. But being, okay, that is also true of spiritual authorities in your life. If, if somebody teaching in this room or in that room on a regular basis, be careful because they are going to influence you and they're going to teach you. Make sure they are teaching you from God's word. Don't hitch your wagon to somebody's star. They're going to promise you the moon. They're going to promise you an incredible life. There's theology out there that tells you that, that God wants you to have lots of money. I don't read that anywhere in scripture. I read that God will provide for you and sometimes you might get lots of money, but he doesn't guarantee that. Don't hitch your wagon to that star because that's false theology. 
Don't hit your wagon to somebody who's trying to teach you whose life doesn't measure up, who's not trying to grow spiritually. Don't buy into that, whether it's on TV or it's local. If you look at somebody and go, yeah, they're really messed up, but they're saying good stuff. I like hearing it. Don't hit your wagon to that. Be very careful who you follow. They don't have to be perfect because none of us are, but make sure they're sincere and they're growing and they're biblical. That would be the context that, that I would refer to that here. It also, it also has to do with jobs. Um, don't hit your wagon to somebody who you know is unethical. Don't work at a company you know is unethical. You may not be able to fix it, but don't do it because you'll go down with, with them when they go down. Because remember, be sure your sin's We'll find you out, right? And so don't don't hit your don't hit your wagon to people who are out partying and you're trying to be a Christian. Don't do it. It's that influence thing again. Two last ones. Um, healthy people rally around a common goal. Unhealthy around a common target. So this came from a corporate psychologist who was so jacked up. But but God brought him into my life. He became a a, a friend for a season and a reason. He helped me understand what happened with that guy that left that wounded me so deeply and took part of the church with him. He helped me. He's the one who told me what the guy's real issue was and helped me understand it. And he also, and, and also taught me this. So <laughs> we think everybody's opinion, is, because of the internet especially, I think. I don't know. Maybe not. It looks that way to me. We think everybody's opinion uh, matters. And it doesn't. Everybody's life matters because you're created in the image of God. Every life matters. Your opinion doesn't mean squat. If I have a broken leg, I'm not asking you what to do about it. You don't, unless you're a medical student. You don't, know, you don't know anything about that. And so we live in a society where everybody's opinion, everybody can sit in their basement, their mom's basement, in their underwear and type their opinions about whatever it is, right? The, sorry, was that an image we didn't need? We don't um, even have basements out here. We're confused that's now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> a basement is this room. What's a basement? Anyway. Um, <laughs> It's so funny. Um, here's what I found out. Because of the fallen world we live in, everybody's unhealthy. Some more than others. We're all unhealthy. And a part of why we need the Holy Spirit and we need the scripture and we need the body of Christ is to help us know who to listen to. How do you discern if somebody's unhealthy or not? I spent a lot of my life listening to really unhealthy people. And they realized later that was bad advice. There's a bad opinion there. They don't know what they're talking about. They're as jacked up as I am. So this guy taught me. He said, look at a group of people. And you want to be, so we want to live on the positive side of life. Meaning, I want to be in growth mode. I don't want to be in blame mode. Right? I heard a a guy one time say, "Um, you can tell you've grown up when you stop blaming your parents. You may have parents that are all jacked up and messed you up. At some point, though, you got to own it because you're you now. You got to own, I'm becoming who I've decided to become. I can't be blaming them all the time, right? So I want to live on the growth side of things, not the blame side of things. And so he said, if you look at a group of people and they're organized around a common target, they all hate this. And I don't mean like sex trafficking or something. I mean like a person or they all hate this person. That is really unhealthy because what they're operating on is the energy of hate. And when they, they can no longer hate that person, they'll start hating each other. It won't last long. It'll be furious and, and, and energetic and, and fire while they're together. But then they'll turn on each other and they'll get nasty. But if you find a group of people who are about not blaming somebody, but moving somewhere, somewhere positive, especially in the Christian context, we're moving toward being who Christ wants us to be, moving toward impacting our community with love and, and, and peace and joy and all the stuff that God wants to give us. If you align yourself with those people who are moving toward Jesus, a goal, not a target, it's going to be much healthier. And part of the problem, I'm just going to, I'm going to get in a, a little, you know, preaching mode here. Part of the problem with our nation right now is we're operating on blaming in our political system, we want people to blame. Uh, Obama did this. Trump's doing this. I don't care who you're blaming. I want to know where we're going. That's why we're so dysfunctional as a nation. We're not going anywhere. We need to get our hearts right with God. We need to move toward being like Jesus together. Then we'll start solving all these problems and start worrying about who's getting the blame, right? So make sure that the people you're involved with and the people that you are drawn to are not about blaming somebody. That is a short-lived, very passionate, very destructive thing. But when you realize that we're about moving toward being like Jesus and the mission he has for our life, that's healthy. 
It's not perfect. We're all going to struggle. We'll fall down and do dumb stuff along the way. But we're moving. We're becoming like Jesus. And don't ever get sucked into somebody who's all about, well, we're not going to be them. Hang out with people who are going to be like him. And that will move you forward. Last question. Uh, tonight, we're trying to um, get people to recognize that there's an opportunity for them to serve here in the ministry. And I know that you're super passionate about getting people into areas in which they can serve. So why, real quick, 30 seconds, these people need to sign up besides the incredible t-shirts that we have in the back. Butter knives. Great. Okay, let's pray. Um, Have you ever reached into a drawer and looked at the end of a butter knife and it's all gnarled because somebody decided to use it as a screwdriver? Have you ever seen that? Well, go home and do it. Just go and just jack one up and see what it looks like. They don't know. I think that we, a lot of us, are trying to be something God didn't create us to be. A butter knife makes a lousy screwdriver, and frankly, a screwdriver is not a very good butter knife, even in a pinch. Here's the problem. You're going to go through life thinking that you should do this, do that, do the other thing. Whatever society, your parents, somebody tells you, what it makes a lot of money. And you're going to go through life doing that, and one day you're going to realize, this sucks. I don't love this. You might even be good at it and you don't love it because you're trying to be a screwdriver and you're a butter knife. So the most powerful thing in life is when you realize what God made you to do. I mean, I have so many things I'm terrible at, I have, but I have a couple I'm pretty good at. And guess which one God uses most often? The ones I'm good at. Guess which ones seem to have an impact in the world? The ones I'm good at. Oh, who knew? God moved me to California because you needed me to come here because you Californians are jacked. No, that's not true. (laughs) It's because the real gifts that God gave me, the gifts of evangelism, had to be exercised here because in the Midwest, they're too kind of uptight. And and you don't need to understand the But I understand why God moved me here, even in the moment I was disappointed. So what's that have to do with serving? You know how you find out what you're good at in the kingdom? You start serving. I started as a junior high pastor. I love junior high kids. But you know what I realized years later is the kid, the junior high kids I loved most were the kids who smelled like marijuana and sat in the back row. Because I identify with them, A, because I've been like that in junior high. And B, I have a gift of evangelism. I never knew I had a gift of evangelism. I just thought I liked those kids. And then when we started church, all of a sudden I started meeting people who smelled like marijuana, <laughs> who were messed up, who were getting beaten up. And I realized, no, this is a gift. And if I hadn't served all those years in junior high, I would never realize that that was a gift. That was a calling from God. You give me a chance to talk to a bunch of Christians, got it all together, and a bunch of dope smokers who were confused, I will choose a dope smokers any day. Because that's a gift. How did I learn that? By serving. I'm not saying the first time you serve, you're going to go, lights come on. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. No, but what will happen is as you serve and you serve more and in different places, you will find some things out. You know something else I have a gift at? Hospitality. That's weird. How can you have a gift of hospitality? I do. I'm concerned about how people feel when they come into a room. And I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I don't really even want to talk to any of you afterwards. But <laughs> they barely even get that. That's funny. Uh, that's funny. It's true. But I am concerned. With, so when I walk into this room, I'm concerned with what it feels like and what it looks like and what your impression is going to be. That's a gift. That's a part of why we do what we do. And how did I learn that? I just started serving. I just started doing stuff. You have gifts that I don't have. You have gifts that the person next to you doesn't have. You have gifts you don't even know you have until you start serving. And when you start serving, your life's going to make a lot more sense. And it's fun. Serving is the funnest part of Christianity. You try to do Christianity without the serving part, you're just doing the hard work without playing the game. You know, you're just doing all the practices and the gut drills, the line drills, whatever you call them. You're just doing all the hard work and you're never going to have the fun of playing the game. It's serving is, is where the game is. That's the game. That's the ball game. Get in and serve and do something and see somebody's in. So I have a friend, one of my friends that I met with for all these years, the one who told me I shouldn't be so mad. Remember that one? He was an atheist when I met him. How, do you, how did he come to the church? This is 25 years ago. How did he come to the church? His wife walked past our church on her way to St. Anne's. And somebody at our front door, all they were doing was serving as a greeter. They smiled such a smile. I'd like to know who it was. We never found out who it was. They smiled so sweetly that this woman stopped and walked in and the next week brought her atheist husband with her, who's now one of my best friends. Just because somebody had this gift of smiling. Who knew? She just smiled so warmly. 
that it changed not only a woman and her husband, their kids, and now they teach classes. I'm just telling you guys, until you begin to use your gifts, it's just hard work. But when you begin to use your gifts, it all makes sense. It starts to come together. Is that what you want me to say? Amen, brother. I mean, I'm 100. Um, <laughs> pray for us. Lord God, I thank you. I, in this room is more potential than I can even imagine. I don't even know all these guys. But Lord God, there is potential in this room that could turn this world upside down. I just ask, Lord God, that they would see it. And they would trust you enough to follow you closely so that you could bring it to fruition. In this room, Lord God, there are people who could, who could do things with the gifts and abilities that could change the world. There are people in so many different walks of life in this room, Lord God, who are going to do amazing things. And if they would just allow you to use them and give you the credit, Lord God, you could touch others for, eternal, for their eternal lives and their eternal destiny. Lord, they're like me. We're so focused on the next move, the next thing in front of us, the next challenge. Lord, I ask for just maybe in this moment that we would raise our eyes, raise our gaze to the long term and allow you just in this moment to plant a seed, a little seed, a little bit of a vision of what you might want to do through our lives. Just enough to inspire us, to encourage us, to give us hope, to help us make a decision to follow you wholeheartedly. Lord God, there are amazing things that can happen because of what you're going to do through these guys. Let them get a glimpse of that, Lord God. Let them, let them understand that there are no little people in your kingdom, that everybody in your kingdom is an important person, a person of impact, a person of significance, and a person that you died for. Not only to save them from their sins, but to save them to a mission for their life. Let us believe that. Let us understand that. Let us live in light of that. And Lord God, I thank you for their willingness to be here. I thank you for their openness to you. And I pray that you would just give them great courage to keep showing up, to keep chasing after you, and to keep becoming who you called them to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.